Hi friends, and welcome to Robcast 117. And this episode is called Wisdom Part 2, Welcome to Your Heart. And uh, this is a big day here at the Robcast because I have an audience of one with me in the back house, my beloved mother-in-law, Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi, Rob. <laughs> How fantastic is that? It took 117 episodes for you to be my audience of one. But uh, it's just beautiful to have you here. I'm honored. So, and, you know, wisdom's a woman, and my mother-in-law's a very wise woman, so this all just seems there's something poetic about all this. And uh, so, welcome to the Robcast. Welcome to the back house. And uh, we're covering all sorts of territory today because this is part two of this wisdom series. First, um, I want to send love to all my new Iceland friends. I was in Iceland this past week um, doing some speaking and some hiking, and... <laughs> By the way, people of Iceland, Iceland is as amazing as you imagine it might be from Sigurós videos. Um, and there's a band called Sigurós. If you're not a Sigurós fan, just go listen to them and you will be. And I had always imagined that everybody in Iceland knows each other. So I thought, when I'm there speaking, I should at some point, I should just say, do you all know Sigurós? Because I think that's funny. Because as American, you picture everybody in Iceland knows each other, even though you know that it's like there's hundreds of thousands of people. But I literally, in one of my talks, said, so do you all know Sigurós? Kind of as a joke. And dude in the front row goes, yeah, the drummer's my nephew. And a lady in the second row goes, yes, one of them's my neighbor. <laughs> oh, you can't make that up. Um, Iceland basically is how I picture the moon if there was grass. I think that should be their tourism slogan. Visit it, what it would be like to be on the moon, but with grass. It's unbelievable. But I have to tell you one story that I'm still laughing about. I talked for two days, and at the very end, I'm done. And I'm just saying hello to the last people who are sort of hanging around before I uh, leave the venue where I was speaking. And one of the last people in line says to me, after two days of speaking, and speaking about creativity and the heart and burnout and the ongoing creation of the world and consciousness. I mean, we're talking about, uh, I was talking about all kinds of things, and people were asking very interesting, um, intelligent questions that um, just, it was really an amazing time. But a guy, <laughs> one of the last questions somebody asked, uh, just me and him, he waits around and he says, I noticed that you're left-handed. Do you play ping pong left-handed? <laughs> that was the question. How fantastic is that? Talking about all of these big ideas. Do you play ping pong left-handed? <laughs> oh my word, I'm still laughing a day later. So uh, once again, just much love to all of my new Iceland friends. And then uh, how to be here tour. Three more stops this fall. And we just put up tickets to Boston, Chattanooga, and then I'm going to end How to Be Here tour here in L.A. And would love to see you. It's an all-day, in-the-round affair. And uh, um, would love to see you there at one of those last three ones. And then I'm doing uh, three different events this fall at the Improv uh, here in West Hollywood. And uh, one is for communicators, so writers, speakers, um, musicians, filmmakers. One is on communication, one is on spiritual leadership, and one of them is on uh, business, healthcare, uh, law. Uh, how do you think about your work in the world through a spiritual lens? And uh, these are the last two days I have planned for the near future, and it's all uh, 
Well, pretty much new content. So if you've come before, most of the content will be uh, brand new content I've worked up over the past year and would love to see you there. Still a few spots for those. The first one is at the end of September and it's uh, communication. So how do you take an idea and give it shape and form? How do you memorize something? How do you keep all the ideas that you have floating around in your head? How do you, if you have a deadline, you actually have to get up and say something. How do you not live the kind of life where you end up at the last minute trying to throw something together. But uh, how do you have something to say and work on it and hone it and craft it? All that's coming up end of September, the first one. And then uh, my beloved friend Elizabeth Gilbert and I, in May, we did an all-day event together, side-by-side side on stools, and it was an absolute blast. And uh, so we're going to do it again. We did one, the one that we did in May was in LA, so it, where I live, so it just seemed appropriate we do something where she lives. So... Um, I think the day this episode goes up, tickets will be first available for Liz and I in Brooklyn in November. So a day with Liz and I in Brooklyn, uh, we're going to be at the Brick House, and I'm telling you, it's good times. Good times, my friend. So uh, there's a couple things going on, but now let's get back to wisdom, because um, I want to take you in a, in a really long series through the ancient wisdom tradition. So last week I started, and I want to introduce you to the wisdom tradition from the book of Proverbs, because that's one kind of wisdom. Um, and so we're going to be here for a while in, in Proverbs wisdom. And then what we're going to do after Proverbs wisdom is I want to show you Ecclesiastes wisdom, which is actually, uh, I call it the wisdom after wisdom. It's another kind of wisdom. And, uh, essentially to understand why that wisdom is so needed and profound, you sort of have to understand Proverbs wisdom. So that's why I'm doing this very sequentially. Then after that, I want to show you the subversive wisdom of Jesus and what Jesus was doing with the conventional wisdom of his day. And a lot of times when people say, how come the Jesus message seems to have been so screwed up? How come the people who talk about Jesus the most seem to be so far often from what Jesus was talking about? It's because of the nature of um, pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional wisdom. So I want to walk you through all that. And then eventually we're going to get to the wisdom of the Greeks and the wisdom of the upside-down countercultural wisdom of the cross. That's going to, who knows, that's probably next year sometime, let's be honest, at the rate I go. <laughs> but today I want to talk about the uh, second part of this wisdom series. And I've called this Welcome to Your Heart um, because I want to just walk you through in the Proverbs wisdom a couple of understandings of the heart. And uh, as we saw last week, wisdom is often personified as a woman, and she's calling out in the streets. She's speaking to you. She's singing to you. She's full of joy. Uh, there's these great lines about how she delights in humankind. Um, she takes joy in the divine presence. So wisdom was always understood, this joyful, loud, singing presence who's always calling to you. Wisdom is always inviting you to gain more wisdom. And there's no ceiling on wisdom. Wisdom is different than IQ. This is why smart people can tweet stupid things. Because you can be very smart, you can be wealthy, accomplished, have a great position, have lots of best-selling albums, and you still tweet idiotic things. It's because wisdom is different than IQ, it's different than charisma, it's different than talent, it's different than brain power, it's different than SAT scores, and it's different than what school you went to. Wisdom isn't remotely intimidated by the smart, smart people who went to the best schools, because wisdom's something else. 
Wisdom is about knowing how to live in the world in a vital way in which you're fully alive. So wisdom is about being connected to source. And at the heart of the wisdom tradition is the heart. So uh, Proverbs 4, it says, uh, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So in the wisdom tradition, your heart was understood to be a center and that your life flows from this center. Now we're gonna circle back to this idea of flow and of your heart. But first, uh, I want to talk about the non-dual nature of the heart. Because if we aren't aware of this non-duality, several key things can happen, and I wanna walk you through what those key things are. So here's what I mean by the non-dual nature of the heart. Proverbs 14, uh, the wisdom teacher says, even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. Let me read that again. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. Uh, right now, uh, I'm full of all sorts of joy. I uh, flew home yesterday from Iceland. Um, I was awake for 25 hours. I got back to my family. I walked the dog. Kristen and I went to a Mexican restaurant in the neighborhood. My son told me all sorts of funny stories about his first couple weeks at college. My other son played me. Um, he's just got his, his band just recorded their first album and he, we sat in my car in the driveway and listened to the songs. Um, just my daughter is, well, she's making videos of her dancing in the kitchen. Is there anything more to say about that? I'm filled with joy. I also last week uh, saw a friend of mine whose child is making really destructive decisions and he is heartbroken over it. And I'm sad and I'm angry about a number of things. Uh, I'm angry about things in the world. I'm angry about current events. I'm angry about something that somebody uh, did to me a month ago, and it is not resolved, and I'm angry about it. I'm right now filled with all sorts of different emotions and response, which I imagine you are too. So which is it? Uh, are you happy or are you sad? Are you full of joy or do you have some anger and frustration? The answer, if you're a human being, is usually yes. The answer is usually yes. So the heart contains all sorts of different things going on at the same time. Uh, one scholar said, our, in, in talking about the Proverbs and this passage about the heart, uh, a scholar named Derek Kidner wrote, our moods are not permanent and they are seldom unmingled with their opposites. How good is that? That rarely are our moods unmingled with their opposites. So sometimes you are two very different things, often at the same time. Sometimes you're happy and sad and joyful and miserable and on top of the world all at the same time. So when the, when the Proverbs and the wisdom tradition talks about even in laughter, the heart may ache. There is a non-dual nature to the heart. So when you think in dualistic terms, it's either this or it's that. You're either happy or you're sad. You're either right or you're wrong. But in the wisdom tradition, your heart has all sorts of things going on at the same time. Some pain doesn't go away. And some wounds are just there. 
and it's a normal part of life. So right now, if you were to take out a blank sheet of paper and a pen, and you were to make a list of everything that you are feeling right now, everything that you've been through today, everything that went on yesterday, everything that you are thinking about and anticipating in terms of the rest of today and the rest of this week, uh, every awkward relational issue that you have right now in your life, every odd conversation or stressful encounter that you've experienced the past week, past three weeks, the past two years, the past decade, if you were to make a list of everything that's going on inside of you right now, it would probably be all over the place. If you thought about finances, if you thought about work, if you thought about significant relationships, if you thought about how your body is functioning right now, you'd probably be all over the place. So uh, when you move from essentially dual to non-duality, to what's called non-dual awareness, some call it unitive consciousness, what you are doing is you are moving to a place where you acknowledge that lots of opposites can exist in the same place at the same time. And what a non-dual awareness or a unitive consciousness understands is that it doesn't need to solve everything. It understands that contradiction and paradox are all part of life. Sometimes even your laughter has an ache, and sometimes your rejoicing ends in grief. And sometimes very different moods, responses, emotions, and feelings are all sitting side by side in your heart because they, they are all present within you. Now, here's why this is so important. If we aren't moving into a greater non-dual awareness of what's going on in our heart, oftentimes what happens if we cannot handle the dark and stormy within us, all that's left then is to place it on others. If you have all sorts of doubt and you don't name it and shine the light on it and let it be whatever it is, then generally what we end up doing is placing it on someone else. They're the ones who are wrong. They're the ones who have left the tribe. They're the ones who are out of line. They're the ones who are the problem. And so we project and we place whatever within us that we can't deal with, we simply place it on others. Uh, sometimes this is called projection. Um, but as long as I am placing it on somebody else, then I don't have to deal with what's going on inside of me. As long as we're talking about them, we don't have to wade into all of the dark and stormy and tumultuous things that may be happening in our heart. Sometimes you're furious with someone, but it's not a situation or a relationship where it's okay culturally or the codes are appropriate for you to express that. And so it's all down in there. And when you can't give it proper expression, Oftentimes, it will come out in some other way. Generally, institutions, uh, whether it's families, businesses, uh, religious institutions, churches, faith communities, often there is a narrative or a myth that is the operative glue. It's what holds everything together. Everybody needs to believe this to keep the thing going. And sometimes you don't believe it. You don't buy it anymore. Um, you don't even believe that whatever the thing is, is even good for the world anymore, or some of its fundamental 
uh, foundational doctrines, you've, you don't buy them anymore. And sometimes to actually express that would bring about all sorts of disruption. So it's all down in there somewhere. But in the wisdom tradition, the first step to health and wholeness and vitality is you listen to your heart and you're honest about what's going on within it. You grow in your familiarity and your acknowledgement with your own interiors. This, whatever it is, it is present within me. And you, under, you, you grow in your ability to let it be whatever it is. You observe it, you name it. Honestly, whatever it is about that person that gets under your skin so much, it's probably has something to do with what you're most terrified is true about yourself. Usually the reason why other people bring out such strong and visceral and even violent reactions in us is because there is something present in our heart. And as long as we are reacting so strongly, there's such electricity about them, we don't actually have to look and see if maybe some of that is present somewhere within us. Because in the wisdom tradition, the heart is the center of your being. Everything flows from your heart and your heart is filled with all sorts of things. And health, wholeness, and vitality begins with honesty. So sometimes it's just we place on other people. Sometimes we are storing all sorts of things that haven't been given expression. So what's interesting in the Proverbs, in the wisdom tradition, is that your body and your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit are all an interconnected reality. And so you'll often notice that when they talk about the heart and what's in the heart, the, the wisdom tradition often links it with your body. So uh, Proverbs 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. <laughs> and I like, to, I like to say it like that, bones. <laughs> if you can't read that sentence, envy rots the bones without just going down like an octave. Like envy rots the bones. And so in the wisdom tradition, uh, it's understood that what's happening in your heart is connected and integrated with your physical body. That if you wish you had someone else's life, that will affect your entire life. That if your heart is not at peace, it will affect every aspect of your existence. Or uh, Proverbs 15, uh, a light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart and good news gives health to the bones. So uh, a couple of thoughts about what is called pain body. Wishing you had someone else's life is lethal. It's absolutely lethal. By the way, there's a great tradition about the Ten Commandments. The 10th commandment is not to covet. And uh, the rabbis point out that the first nine commandments are commandments that can be externally observed. So if you kill somebody, we can actually see you kill somebody. If you steal something, we can see you steal something. But what's interesting about the 10th commandment the 10th commandment is to covet, and coveting is something we don't know whether you're coveting or not because it takes place in the heart. And the rabbis have this brilliant commentary where they say, oh, the 10th commandment is less a commandment and more a reward. Because they say if you follow the first nine, 
you won't want anyone else's life. And that the 10th commandment is actually, uh, uh, it's like a warning or a reward for following the first nine. That there is something about wanting somebody else's life that sits and festers and affects us in countless ways. And if you don't name it and express it, get, give it language, drag it up so it's not jammed down in there, then you end up storing it. Same with wounds, same with bitterness, same with the desire for revenge. Uh, if you've been betrayed, if you've been through horrible relational conflict, uh, all of this pain that we go through, if we don't name it, express it, give it voice, acknowledge it, then often we end up storing it. By the way, uh, I can feel this often when I'm speaking to a crowd. I can feel energetically the pain body. And sometimes somebody will ask a question and I will hear their question, but underneath their question is a world of pain body. Uh, it's like stored in the bones somewhere. Uh, they're asking a question, but they're asking, actually asking something else. The question is just a way to try and get at the thing that's actually which is really the question behind the question, which is, do I have to carry this around forever or could I somehow be free of this? And so in the wisdom tradition, when you talk about the heart and talk about what the heart is carrying around, it is always understood that the heart and the bones and the body and the mind and the soul are all an integrated reality. So depression is very, very complicated. Depression can have a chemical dimension. Depression, depression can have a physiological dimension. But sometimes we're down, we're low, we feel defeated, we have despair, we're depressed because there are things going on in our heart that we haven't named, that we haven't given language to, that we haven't articulated, that we haven't expressed, that we haven't been clear about. And so we even at a, you know those days when like your whole body just feels low, like gravity is working overtime on you. Uh, sometimes it is because there are all sorts of things going on in your heart and it's literally weary on the bones. Now something interesting happened to me. It took me uh, a number of years to understand the significance of it. Uh, when Kristen and I were 28, we started a church, and this uh, church sort of grew up um, quickly, and I was the pastor. So there was this institution that sort of grew up, it felt like overnight. And what I noticed is that there were certain things that I was supposed to say that were expected of me to say to keep everything running smoothly. Um, and what I noticed is that I kept growing. I kept learning new things. I kept evolving. I kept, uh, I kept going. And there were things that the institution needed me to say and do that I couldn't say and do any longer because I'd grown. I didn't see it that way anymore. I saw it as bigger, more complex, more interesting, more simple. Um, more wide, more deep, more mystery, whatever it was. And what I noticed is when I would interact 
and I had a couple of interactions, this would have been my late 20s, with other spiritual leaders. And a couple of them, I noticed that when they got in front of their church, they like flipped a switch. They had like a game face. They had like a number of things that they were expected to say that they say, but knowing them off the stage, that isn't really what they believed. It wasn't really true to them. It wasn't really coming from their heart. It is what they said and did to keep the institution running smoothly. And I remember realizing, oh, it's like they developed a second self that got them a paycheck, got them health insurance, got them money, uh, fame, stability, recognition, respect. But they were actually in a very different place when you talk to them uh, outside of that. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. I have to be true to me. And I remember thinking, but if I do that, um, that might be disruptive. There might be some blowback. There maybe even might be some critics. Um, and I remember having lunch with a, a very prominent spiritual leader who started asking me some questions about something that I had been saying recently. And he asked me like two questions and then he instantly shut down and changed the subject very abruptly. And I had this moment, oh, I would have been at that point 31 or 32. Oh my word, he's actually really curious about this particular topic. And he has all sorts of questions and there's all these things he wants to know. But if he does go down this road, it will cause so much disruption and division in the empire that he's been building. And so he literally got like two questions in and then he just shut it down. Because if you choose to live undivided from your heart, you may get all sorts of unfavorable things that come your way. Kristen was uh, talking to me the other day about the difference between the social self and the true self. And there is the true self, there is the you that is the you behind all of the yous that are you. And then what happens over time, and this happens quite quickly, is we develop a social self, which is all of the ways that we learn to navigate our world. And so very subtly, we pick up, this is how you act in this situation. This is how you navigate that particular situation. This is how you climb the ladder there. This is how you earn their respect. And so we develop a social self, which is how we navigate the world. And sometimes what happens is a social self is, is not in line with our true self. There is who we know we are. And then there is the way that we behave because that's what the system or the situation demands. And when you choose to live from your true self, uh, there may be cost, there may be blowback, there may be critics, not everybody may understand. At the heart of the wisdom tradition is this understanding that there is a part of you that no one else can access. So when they talk about the heart, they're talking about emotions, will, uh, talking about the entirety of your inner being. Uh, but Proverbs 14 has this great line, each heart knows its own bitterness. Each heart knows its own bitterness 
and no one else can share its joy. So at the heart of the wisdom tradition is this understanding that there is a place that you live from, a deep center, and that your life flows from that deep center, and that you can be true to that deep center, or you can veer from it, you can deny it, you can avoid it. So when it says guard your heart because your whole life flows from it, you guard your heart so that you can live from that place, which is where the joy actually is. Your heart uh, and that flow is not something that you just possess, like an object or a thing. It's not uh, an interesting technique or four steps to this. It's not a concept. It's like when they use the word overflow, it's like a tank that gets full and then some spills over the top. So now uh, just a couple of really practical things about the heart to wrap this up. What do you want? That to me is the question that gets as quickly as possible to how we are with our heart. For some, the question, what do you want, is a terrifying question. You know that you at some level are living distant from your heart when that question is hard to answer or when that question is shocking or when that question feels like it's inappropriate. For some, even the question, what do you want? They're like, well, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what everybody else wants. It matters how I can. No, what do you want? Some situations become so toxic for us. We are so uh, enthralled to the social self that when probing questions about who we are and what we're here to do and what are our desires and what do we want, sometimes people get so far from their true self and their actual heart that that question can even feel like out of line because they have lived so long, so distant from their heart. Uh, sometimes we settle. Sometimes we numb. Uh, sometimes we give up. If you have some sense like, well, I guess this is just as good as it gets, probably something has died in your heart. If you have no fight left in you, it's probably because something has gone on in your heart. If you're no longer even have the capacity to get angry or to feel joy, Sometimes it just feels like all of our senses are dulled. It's probably because you haven't been guarding your heart. To guard and protect your heart means to pay attention to it, to acknowledge what's happening within it, to be honest about the ways that you haven't been true to it. And in the wisdom tradition, you guard your heart because everything flows from your heart. Now, the good news, uh, chapter 15 in Proverbs has this great line, the cheerful heart has a continual feast, which I love. And the word cheerful there is the word tov. And when I did that series on good versus perfect, and we looked at this ancient word good and what it means, and it's, it's depth and breadth. It's the same word, uh, same root word. Um, tov, in this case, generally translates beautiful. So that's one way you could translate it. The beautiful heart has a continual feast. And essentially what it says is the heart fully alive, um, has a, in some ways you could translate it, has a nonstop party, has a continual feast. So here's the question. What is it that keeps your heart alive? What is it that when you do it, 
you feel like, I can't believe I get to live this life. What is it that when you do it, something in the center of your being, we generally uh, point to our chest because our actual heart is there. And what your heart does is it pumps blood to the rest of your body. And so what your heart does in, in the wisdom tradition is it pumps life. It flows life to the rest of your body. What is it uh, that keeps your heart alive? What are the practices? What are the disciplines? What are the routines? What are the rituals that keep you alive, that, that leave you with a sense of wonder and awe about your own existence? Uh, then you should do those. You would not believe the number of people I have interacted with over the years who, when you talk about the heart, when you talk about what feeds their soul, when you talk about what keeps their heart alive, they can name very specific things. And yet when you ask them, well, when was the last time you did that? How often did you do that? People will say, well, uh, you know, it's been three years. Um, yeah, once in a great while I get around to it. As if keeping your heart alive is like a luxury or an indulgence that you sort of tack on if you can find the time for it. And so part of the wisdom tradition is understanding that your heart is that which through which everything flows and you guard your heart and you take care of it and you do the things that you need to do to keep it fully alive and you don't apologize for it. So at a most basic level, what is it that keeps your heart alive? And have you drifted from those things? So if we were to ask you those things, what, what are they? Would you say, oh yeah, and I have a regular practice of this, I have a regular discipline of this, or now nah, it's been a while, just a bunch of other important things. What are those things? And obviously we have people who need us to care for them. We have young kids, we have people who get sick, we have I mean, employees, responsibility, projects, school, all those sorts of things. But at the heart of it, what is it that keeps your heart alive? Some people make drastic changes in their life in order to reclaim their heart. Some people uh, sell their house and move into a house that's smaller so that they have less bills so that they can do things that keep their heart alive. Some people quit their jobs. Some people take on new jobs. Some people approach their jobs totally differently. Some people move far away. Some people move into the woods. Some people move into the city. Some people give all their money away. Some people save all the, every last penny for years so that they can go travel. People do all sorts of things to keep their heart alive. And sometimes if your heart feels slightly dead, like you've settled, like you've numbed. And by the way, one of the ways you know it is if you find yourself thinking, is this it? If you find yourself regularly wondering, is this it? Seriously, is this it? That's a question that's coming from your heart, not your brain or your mind. That's the question that your heart is asking. Seriously, this is it? And so you need to listen to your heart. Sometimes you have to do something really bold to shock your heart back to life. Sometimes life wears us down and the heart becomes so weary and it just sort of shuts down over time. We have become so enmeshed with the social self. This is what's required of me. This is what is expected. These are the assumptions. This is what the tribe demands. Sometimes we are so wrapped up in what other people have decided is our life. Sometimes you are reading from the script of a play that somebody else wrote. And so you need to do something really bold. You need something to take back your heart because you deep down know this can't be it. Come on. This is it? Really? 
If you have that voice, it is your heart and it is speaking to you. It is the ancient wisdom of the heart. And wisdom, she's in the streets shouting to you. She's throwing rocks at your windows. She's turning up the music on the stereo. She is calling to you and she is saying, you are far from your heart and you are far from life and you need to get that back. Yes, welcome to your heart. It is a place of non-duality. All sorts of things are going on and it's fine. Are you happy or are you sad? Yes. Are you angry or are you euphoric? Yes. Of course, you embrace the non-dual nature of your heart. All sorts of things are going on in your heart. You give expression to all of that. You acknowledge it. You give name to your pain so that you don't place it on somebody else or so that you don't develop a pain body where you're being weighed down because there is this part that no one else can access. It knows its own bitterness and no one else can share in its joy. There is this center to your being that only you can access and it's talking to you. It's cheering you on. It's telling you the truth. It is the source from which life flows through you to the world around you. Surround yourself with, with that which fills your heart because the beautiful, cheerful heart has a continual feast. You live from the heart and you never stop seeing extraordinary things that fill you with life. And that, my friends, is wisdom part two. Welcome to your heart. Grace and peace, my friends.